Welcome to Heavy Networking. Today we head into the deep, dark data center of the service provider where we learn how they are standing up global virtual network slices for their customers. And you might think, you mean like an MPLS VPN? Because banks, we've had those forever. So what is the big deal? Yeah, it's not, not exactly what I'm getting at because in the modern networking era, we're talking about service providers, a software defining a network slice using traffic engineering, unifying that slice across multiple network operators and then presenting that virtual network slice as a programmable entity to the customer. And that that is quite a bit more than what an MPLS VPN can offer, at least, at least by itself as we traditionally think of it. Our sponsor today is Cisco Systems, and our guest is Modi Cohen. Modi is a product manager from the Sedona Systems line of business within Cisco, better known as Crosswork Hierarchical Controller these days. He is here to talk us through the frameworks commonly used to tackle these network slicing and traffic engineering challenges, their pros and cons, and then the approach that he is seeing his customers adopt as they create virtual networking products for their customers. Modi, thank you for joining us in Heavy Networking. We had a great planning call yesterday chatting about uh, all of this, the complexity of IP and optical networks, uh, how to automate them, and the challenges that the frameworks that uh, that I referred to are presenting, because it's not as simple as well as it looks on paper, the way you describe it. Uh, so, Modi, maybe the best way to start off the conversation is by explaining to the audience these standards development organizations, these SDO defined frameworks. We've got the IETF Action Framework, ACTN, and the ONF TAPI Framework, T-A-P-I. Could you give us an overview of what those are and what the, the problems are that they're meant to solve? It all started, I think, uh, we know, with the promises of uh, SDN, which started, I think, a decade ago, as to let's bring into the network all the promises that are in the data center. Like, for example, I can go into AWS or any other one, and uh, within a few clicks, I can have my network set up, my virtual machines or containers, all that without speaking to anyone and all automated. And uh, when, you know, when network operators, they look at it and for them, it, it's a dream. I mean, we can, we can sell services in minutes and we have no teams that we will have to send uh, to the field to do something for that. It shouldn't take months, it should take seconds or minutes. Well, that's great. It's a dream. Let's do that. And, uh, and with the time, it happens that uh, uh, networks, and especially when we talk about uh, VPNs, and as you said before, it's not everything it's about MPLS, that's complex. There are many systems that need to be connected together and needs to be integrated. And, and it's not like we own everything. We have to get this from vendors, and each vendor has its own expertise, beside the fact that I think it's the most crucial one in which the organization is built for for dealing with those networks manually. It's not like I, I build now a new data mm. center, a new cloud services and build that from scratch. There are teams there. There are some, you know, the organization DNA and it cannot just change that in a, in a day. So there's really been an inflection in network ownership, hasn't there? We're, we're definitely moving away. Most companies are moving away from this idea of operating networks with fingers and brains and they're moving towards like, you know, you can work the CLI of a, of a device and yeah, that kind of works, but networks are getting bigger. And instead of stitching together, you know, a couple of routers and a DWDM link and a couple of optical shelves and some transponders, now you're talking about a path might cross 20 routers and it might cross multiple DWDM routes over the network. You can't do a lot of this work manually like we used to. There is a change coming, right? 
Yeah, there is a change, first of all. And then, um, you know, with the change comes not only the complexity of the technology, hmm. but also the demand for a better SLA. And it's not like I can put my internet best effort and expect everything to work. I mean, applications have uh, a strong demand for bandwidth, for, uh, you know, for latency, for all this stuff. And you cannot just put their equipment and expect it to work. You need to take care of all the traffic engineering and you need to make, you need to make sure that there will be no congestion in the network. There will be high availability. And, and that has a cost, not only CapEx, but OPEX. Well, I think SLAs are a lot more complicated now too, because... When I talk to telcos today about what their backbones look like, once upon a time, there would have been one DWDM vendor with one type of device in the DWDM, and that's all they bought, right, for 20 years is that same hardware, right? But today, they could have two, three, four DWDM vendors. They could have open source routers, closed source routers. They could have disaggregated, unbundled, rebundled, you know, proprietary hardware running Sonic, proprietary operating system on a white box in the routing space. And they need to bring all that together because that's a reality. Because even if it's not their network that they built, they might have bought somebody who's using something else, or as is becoming much more common, they the 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 service provider who's selling the product to the to the customer is actually now using someone else's network. So they might be crossing Equinox or they might be using a DWDM provider to buy a Lambda to support this service. And that provisioning is actually done via an API. It's not done by finger faulting like it was in the old days. Those are the sorts of business changes we're seeing. Am I right? Is that Am I right with that sort of assumption? Yes, you're definitely right. And you take this also to the integration between different business units. And that even became more complex because, uh, you know, we can look at a different example. For example, let's look at the uh, mobile networks. And potentially, I can I can go with from from my my uh, my country and abroad and expect everything to work seamlessly. Mm. I don't have to call anyone. I just take my my own uh, machine, yeah. and it all works. And thanks to definitions defined by the standard bodies, in this case, it's the three GPP, yeah, which uh, which defines all the standards there, starting with the SIP and other interfaces. Mm -hmm. But uh, but that works, and and we can ask ourselves. Okay, but there are standards also for the for the telecom work. Like there are, you know, if I take, for example, the Tata Management Forum with the standards that works there for years, or the ITF standards. Mm. So what's the big difference between them? Mm. And, and and I think there is a difference. We need to understand what this difference is. And that yeah. comes to your question, Ethan, about the um the ACTN yeah. by ITF and the ONF TAPI. Now, they're basically standards that starts with the let's define the information model for those networks. So for example, when I talk to, then our two systems talk together, then we need to understand what do we mean by saying a link, a connectivity link, an optical service or a layer three VPN. We need to set up the same language between us. But then when you look at that, okay, I think they do a pretty good job in defining these language between the two systems, um, which is defined by TAPI or by ITF ACTN. And uh, there are some equalities between them, but they're slightly different in terms that I think TAPI is becoming more mature and more adopted by most of the of the optical vendors. Mm. I'm glad you brought that up because I, I, I didn't get into every detail because there's, there's a lot of copy there for both of those standards. I dug into the higher level and the overview and looked at how they were doing uh, major definitions, I think, for the components of the system. They seemed awfully similar at the higher level, but you're saying that between... 
uh, ACTN and Tappy, that Tappy is kind of kind of the one everybody's settling on? Yeah, it seems to be more mature, I think, by the vendors. And uh, when I when I think on integrations that were involved with, I think Tappy is becoming uh, more popular for, for mm. those uh, for those systems. But I think that when we look at it, there, there's a similar problem with the ITF ACTN and the ONF TAPI. And as I said before, they started with the information model. Let's make sure that we talk the same language. But then they more or less stuck with the information model and kind of recommendations for the APIs. But uh, they didn't really get into it, into the gritty details of how do we do these operations? How do we, for example, when I connect between the two, so when does it all start? Is there hmm. any handshake between the systems? What happens if I lost connectivity between the systems? How do I report when a device uh, is disconnected from my from my network? Do I have to report that? To what form I have to report that? There are all these questions, which are, I would say, the operational aspects of the integration between the two, that is not covered by those systems. <laughs> Unlike, for example, when I look on the 3GPP, hmm. they have covered everything. Yeah. Well, do, you, do you? Oh, okay. I see. I see the argument that you're making. I, I was going to say, do you really want to define every operational step? Because when you get into that level of minutia, it gets harder and harder to map it into your own organization, depending on how you set up. Yeah. I can. I, well, I can understand why it's not there. Because first of all, you know, when I when I expose some interfaces out of my system, then it's it's actually the way it exposes the way I have implemented my solution. And normally, you know, I have some uh, some unique values in my solution. There are some specific features, or uh, or some functions that I want to expose, while others do not have it. And that means changes in the in the standard, changes in the interface. And I must have this being implemented in the interface has been exposed. That besides the fact, by the way, I think there is another aspect to that. Not only that, I uh, normally my solution is different than my competitors, but also the fact that um, those systems, I mean, these SDN controllers, um, they will not build from scratch to the days of the of being SDN controllers. Uh, um, if you look back, I mean, most of those systems, a few years back, they were NMSs, mm. and, yeah. and and they were NMSs, you know, with all the old proprietary interfaces, if at all. Mm. And vendors, I think, had no choice but to uh, have those SDN controllers. Well, in most of the cases, not all of them, mm. being evolved from the NMSs because there is a legacy network there that you have to support. I don't mm. want you know what to use the word legacy. It's a bit, uh, uh, <laughs> but uh, but there are, but there are existing heritage. networks. Yeah, the networks heritage. that are listed yeah. with the executive and cannot be demolished <laughs> because of historical reasons, shall we say? So yeah. much nicer, Very so strange. much gentler. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, so they're there. You have to support it. There, are, there are contracts, and you want your systems, like NMS or whatever you call that SDN controller, to still support those systems. So you cannot just build it, build everything from scratch. You have to evolve from from your NMS, and then you derive some of the drawbacks from your NMSs into the system. That means that even if there was there. Um, a, a very mature interface to define how you should expose your function as interfaces, you cannot really be complied with that 100%. You mm. have still to offer your, your customer, well, you know what, for that one, use my proprietary interfaces. And I can tell you secretly, it's even more mature. Let me ask a question. When we first started talking around SDN around 2012, 2014, something like that, 
Maybe it was back in the in the 2000s, really. All we wanted to do in the early days was to configure devices. And the pinnacle of the idea of using software to operate our infrastructure was to be able to do zero-touch deployment. Do you remember that? The idea that we could just plug a yeah. device in and yeah. it would get an IP address and it would read its config that had been made from... And if we could do that, we thought we were really, really clever. And one of the, what we learned pretty rapidly after that is that we went from zero-touch deployment to solving, and I call that day zero, you know, that or, or day one. when you Day zero is what you buy when you cut the PO. Day one is what you deploy and fix. But what very quickly became, after we solved the day one, how do we create that initial config? How do we get them drawn into an SDN? How do we configure the initial config? Then all of a sudden, Software Defined went from configuration to operation. How do I add, move, and change every day safely? How do I trap the logs and get meaning out of the log files. How do I know if a device has gone down? How do I do fault management properly? Not just ping it, oh, it's not there. Let me send a thousand alerts because a thousand. Is that what we're seeing here in the telco networks? Is that sort of evolution where we went from, oh, let's just configure it with some fingers, you know, get down on the keyboard and, you know, there's a big spreadsheet somewhere with all the parameters to now we're using controllers, hierarchical controllers in your case, to say, I need these devices to be operated on every day. I need to change constantly. We don't configure the network and then do nothing for 20 years like we used to. We have to configure and reconfigure every day. Is that where we're at? Yeah. First of all, let's make a distinction between mm. networks like, I think, broadband access, fixed access, or mobile access mm. to the transport network. Um, and I think in broadband access in mobile, you can see that automation is there, I think for years. And I can tell you that I myself, I was involved in automation project. Well, it wasn't called automation. Okay, mm. it was called OSS integration or whatever. Mm. Back in, in 2009, 2010, and it was all automated. Really, I mean, you, you can do everything without, you don't have to touch anything. There were people, of course, t- taking care of the end of the call center, mm. but most of the most of the routine operations were automated. And, yeah. it, and it was easy because then, as you said before, we had to deal with devices configurations. And when it when it's about device configuration, I mean they, they managed to come into an architecture where you know you can you can plan the configuration of a device with I think most of the parameters being pre-configured. Hmm. You don't have to deal with any changes, any dynamic configuration at all. You just put in a configuration as a file there, you send it to this to the field, plug it in and it works. But uh, but that but that's true for for access networks. Hmm. But it's about devices. When you come when it comes to transport network, well, that's not only devices. You have to deal with the network asp- aspects of it, meaning hmm. the topology and to steering the traffic uh, um, across the network, and that becomes complex because then it means that you know I can tell you to the evolution of the network starting from you know SDH and Sonnet and even even older generations. And there were evolutions, like it started there and SLA was guaranteed, but then as you said, you had to deal with configuration every day. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't sustainable. Well, I mean, in a transport network, wouldn't we be dealing with, uh, in, in, a, in a modern implementation, we'd be dealing with PCE, we'd be dealing with segment routing, and then mapping whatever customer traffic onto whichever engineered path that we've created. Would that be typical, Modi? Yeah, it, it is typical. And, it, and if you look at the, uh, the fundamentals of it, then it's almost the same like as it was in those days of the Sonnet and SDH. Because, you know, I, I think, you know, if you look at differences, then in the Sonnet and the SDH, 
rates were really low. I mean, mm. we didn't have the high rates that we have today. And once you you occupied some resources like a signal or traffic, you know, in a TDM network, then it was it was dedicated for a specific service. You cannot really yeah. load balance that and use it for other services as well. Mm. But we're not there. Okay, we have an IP network. It's all dynamic, as you said. We have segment routing, and we can do a lot of tricks with the segment routing mm. in order to actually better utilize the, the resources uh, when it's where they are not used by one service to being used by another service. But still, we are dealing with configuration, and that you know, if I, if I take an IP network without TE and let it work, and I have I have no worries about the SLA, then everything's fine. I I mean, I don't have an issue of configuration <laughs> yes. every day, but then uh, I can I guarantee the SLA. Guaranteeing SLA, SLA equal yeah. configuration. That's the point. Yeah. After all these years, we're still dealing with, you know, we we have switch networks that we've built now, but uh, but we still want virtual circuits so we can guarantee that that traffic behavior end to end mm. and, uh, and yeah. trying to recreate yeah, yeah. all of that. Yeah. Um, so okay, so you're 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 making the distinction between uh, IP optical networks versus transport networks, and what the automation feels like because you've got a changing climate in the transport network. You're trying to guarantee customer SLAs and deliver specific services across that transport network. Uh, and, and so, trying to map this back to the the frameworks that we were talking about earlier, is this where the frameworks are falling short for you? Um, no, I think the frameworks that we discussed, which are the the SDN controllers, I mean the IP yeah. controller, optical controller, and the Oracle controller, they're all part of the framework. And 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 when you would like to automate those operations, like uh, introducing a new service, modifying a service, uh, dealing with the traffic congestion, you have to deal with integration between those between these systems because you would like the Oracle controller to be on top. You would like the the OSS. Or the service orchestrator to communicate with the with the uh, hacker controller, put there a service order, uh, you know, agnostic to the vendor because this is a value of the Oracle controller. Then gets this this service being configured in an optical controller or in the IP controller. So you touch everything when you have to deal with almost every operation that you have to do in the network. But yeah. but I think when it comes to the complexity of it, then there is the complexity which is because of this integration. But there is also, uh, I think, a complexity of how do I make a distinction between some automation of the routine operations to to fix the network itself? Like, for example, traffic congestion. Now, like, let's look at traffic congestion, and there are some uh, tricks in order to automate the healing, I mean, the repairing from a traffic congestion. But when I look at that from a business perspective, can I correlate that with any business-driven operation? I'm afraid not, because this is not a this is not a new service to a customer. Um, this is not an, an immediate service assurance thing, and um, but but this is a, a way for me to you know to to automate the way network runs, the way network operates, mm. and I have to do to do that when it comes to how do I budgetize this closed loop to solve the uh, the traffic congestion, that should come from the budget of the operations, of the network operations. I cannot correlate that directly with service provisioning, which is a service order, and it's a cost of the service order. And then you ask yourself, okay, so if if that budget of this is a, is a little bit difficult, then maybe I'll put this later. Maybe I'll do that manually. Is that really mm -hmm. a problem for me? You know, I think one of the main drivers 
for automation in, in other parts of the network is because it was directly related to the business. You can justify it. You can say, if I would do automation for service provisioning, then I can reduce the time that it took me from, from days to minutes. Yeah. It's a direct impact on the business. I can have more business for that. It's not just the initial configuration from days to minutes. It's also making a change. This customer wants more bandwidth. Minutes, not months, right? This customer, because you know exactly what's in the path. You know how much bandwidth is available across your entire network because you're reading the software state of the entire network. Even the parts where you're outsourcing to somebody else or, you know, or you're borrowing somebody else's network or you're transiting other paths. For me, all of the SDN that we do in 2023 going forward, it's all about day two. It's about operations, about ads, moves and changes. It's about customer wants to increase the bandwidth from one meg, from 100 meg to a gig. Well, is there a, is there a gig in the path, right? If I do, I need to um, move the customer traffic from one segment route to a new one because that path traverses the backbone is engineered on the right path. Maybe they want to change SLA, right? So any discussion yeah. around the sorts of you know the IETF action and the T and the TMF standards that you're talking about is it's got to be able to support that constant iteration. We don't have the old days of we take the gear out. We rack it, we configure it, we close it, we lock it up, and we never touch it again unless it blows up or the building gets blown up, right? Or some critical thing happens, yeah. right? In effect, the old days of doing a truck roll and the cost was minimized, now we do truck rolls every 15 minutes. We just do them in software. So for me, it's about, and I think what you were saying before about the APIs, some of them are better than others. So when we talk about abstractions that talk down to equipment, the standard APIs, the ones that work are the ones that support changes, constant change, iterative changes. The ones that win uh, from an API point of view, we could argue about the software that sits over the top. So when we start talking about um, Cisco Crosswork, you know, the key advantage of the Crosswork family is that it's multi-vendor. It's not like Cisco's ACI product, which only works on this hardware, which is very limited and only available from a handful of resellers and only available from a certain blessed group of engineers who are allowed to touch it and all that sort of stuff, right? In the crosswork environment, you're saying we can bring our product in and work with anything in your network, Ericsson, Nokia, Sienna, Infinera, and we need to have, but we can't keep supporting an infinite number of APIs. You've got to start to narrow it down on some common, like the reason we have SNMP, it's awful, but at least it was common, right? And we knew where we stood. At least we got something out of a device. Is that, does that resonate with you? Yeah, I think, uh, first of all, you're right. I think the value of the crosswork is that uh, we we have integration with, uh, I think, all the leading vendors in the IP and the optical mm. domains, um, which is which is a real, it's not the only value that we have in the in the HCO, but mm. definitely, definitely one of them. And I think that, uh, you know, I've, I spoke before about the, you know, the challenges that we have with the, with the standard uh, interfaces there. But I think that uh, we're slowly getting into a point where APIs will be mature. Mm. And at least, at least we manage that. Then, you know, you can potentially ask yourself, so what's the difference? I mean, I, I, can, I can look at integrations I did a decade yeah. ago and it was the same. So, so no, there is a difference. There I think, difference. I think yeah. that, uh, you know, once, once I develop now an adapter, which is our kind of driver in the HCO to communicate with the controllers, I, once I develop this adapter using TAPI, for example, then yeah. I know that the time that it will take me to develop the next one will be lower. 
Yeah. It, will be, it will be shorter for me and easier potentially. Mm. And and even, even if I have to deal now with the first release of the vendor supporting this uh, interface, mm-hmm. then I know that uh, with the second release, with the third release, uh, things will 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 getting uh, will getting better and will be there. But I think there is also one value there in in the crosswork family um, that judges directly the the point of, uh, for example, this uh, congestion or this says as you said frequent changes that we have at the time. Yeah. And this is something we discussed recently with several customers, and we we titled that as tactical capacity planning. For example, what, what does okay. it mean, tactical capacity planning? As you know, we have part of the crosswalk. We have the um, the one automation, the WAE machine engine mm-hmm. that is uh, uh, dealing with uh, IP planning. Now, yeah. normally, when you planning, at least in, in in most of the times, is uh, running offline. Yeah, and it's very common in optical networks. For example, you run planning and you put it to the planning machine you know the bandwidth demands the locations mm-hmm. and then you you get out some some uh, uh, some plan of uh, let's put this device here this device here these are the rates these are the configuration go do that now you have to uh, uh, have another wavelength there okay let's go back to the playing let's plan that again let's put a configuration and you yeah. it's yeah. a process but if you if i have to do it every 15 minutes that means that i want my planning tools to be part of the automation yeah. so potentially if I look at the workflow, it starts from the fact that, okay, there is a new service and I would like to increase my bandwidth from 100 meg to one gig. Yeah. Do I have enough bandwidth through that? I would, yeah. I would like to understand that and to come back to the customer in minutes saying yes or no. Yeah. That means that I have to run an API to the planning application, ask the question whether I can do that. And I, and I trust this, this application to consider everything for me, like considering the actual traffic, consider the other commitments that I have yeah. and, and get me back with immediate answer for that. And, it, and, and thanks to that integration, we can do that all together. That's right. And the reality is that for most telcos and service providers is that the backbone is now multi-vendor. Now, what I mean by that, you might still have all Cisco routers in your network, but your optical isn't all Cisco, very, very rarely, Right. Your optical is normally Infinera or Sienna or whoever it might be, or your backbone may not be yours. You might be renting bandwidth in a different country, right? And you may have API access to someone else's routers, but it's a restricted access. That's less common, but I think that's going to be more common going forward. That's the thing about uh, segment routing is it does allow you to use other people's paths, and the API in segment routing means that you can give away rights to some parts of the ESR pathing data, if I'm right. And I think the big change for telcos is to understand that at the end of the day, the customer expects to be able to have bandwidth like the internet. I connect to it wherever I am and it works. I can watch Netflix. I can Twitter. I can do whatever it is. You know, I can stream my TikToks, whatever. And I didn't have to talk to a middleman. People don't want to talk to the telcos anymore just to get the most basic competencies done. And so now really what we're talking about is how do we get how do telcos change the way to meet the service levels that customers expect? They expect it to be always on, easily available. Reliability is less of a problem than it used to be. Like not all customers need five nines. Quite often it's only 5% of customers need five nines and are willing to pay for it. And yet in the old days, we used to charge every customer for five nines, whether they wanted it or not, right? Yes, Mr. Customer, you can have one link with five nines. I don't want five nines. I want two links with 95% availability. No, you can't have that because our network is five nines. 
Do you know what I mean? Like, there's so many changes going on. And really, if you start thinking about, well, I'm going to SDN this, I'm going to have some sort of software talk to it. Well, then the APIs have to have all of these verbs and, and readabilities that change the all-in-one approach. How do we get to that solution? And the answer is not by, I'm going to buy Sienna's Blue Sky SDN, and then I'm going to put Cisco's you know, router management solution, whatever it is this year, over the top. And then I'm going to stitch them together with some Python. That's, that's not going to work. Yeah, well, as you said, it's not going to work if you try yourself. Uh, don't don't do that at home. I mean, <laughs> it's difficult. <laughs> and you and you have to take, I think, experts. So I think there is a long way to go from just taking those vendor system system vendor by the vendors and mm. put them all together and expect these all those use cases to work. Mm. But we can do halfway to you, meaning that we can offer you the 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 controllers that do the integration already with the vendors. So for example, if you want to run the same service type and you have different vendors in your network, we can make sure that uh, this interface to provision a new OTN line or E-line over uh, ODU connection um, is agnostic to the to the vendors. And it's the same API abstracted in the same API, you can, you can now correlate it to your systems. But at the end, if you really want to have uh, um, an end-to-end automation of the service launch, Meaning that, um, let me check that resources are there. Let mm. me provision the service. After I provision the service, I would like to run some tests to make sure that the service is up and running as expected and it beats the SLA. Mm. You, as it seems, you have to write code for that. But yeah. uh, mm. with the time, this code writing becomes easier because there are APIs there. There are APIs for you to consume the performance measurement. There are APIs to provision a service and to check the resources and they became easier to, to consume. But at the end, you, you you really need to write code for that. And I think those are you know workflow management systems that are part of any, any OSS or orchestrating ecosystem. Yeah. There's a point of clarification here I want to make, Monty. We're talking about a couple of different perspectives on how I'm configuring the network. On the one hand, I'm the operator or I'm a collection of operators that are building a service that results in a virtual network slice for my customer, let's say. Then I'm the customer who's consuming that. And if I, as the service provider, have built the service in a, in, in a modern way, that virtual network slice becomes consumable on demand by the customer where they can spin up and turn down services and circuits you know, on demand as they go. So when you're talking about the API being mature and, you know, and so on, which side of things are we talking about? Are we talking about the customer calling upon an API so they, they can consume their network slice? Or are we talking about the APIs that the service providers internally, the operators, I suppose, would be consuming to build out that service for the customer. Yeah, it's, uh, I would say the latter, meaning um, app operators will run the APIs and will write their own code in order to support it. And being able to support, uh, you know, the I would say automation is internal. And then we'll be able to offer that in, in their portal to the end customers. In, mind. in some cases, they can even build APIs for that because then those APIs cannot really be connected directly to all the controllers. At the end, there is a business aspect. I mean, you have to charge for that, there is a billing. Mm. And uh, even if you want to expose some APIs, it needs to be in a higher level than those systems dealing directly with the network. Um, because I'm yeah. just giving you one yeah. example. When I, when I as, a, as a controller, when I get the request now to provision a service, say from point A to point B, my point A and B are, you know, device name, 
slot number, port number. Now, from a business perspective, for a customer, there is no device slot port. There is a location. <laughs> and someone will need to translate this location into device slot port, which I understand. So that's that's number one. Then there are some resources to be allocated, which I'm not dealing with. I mean, there should be some IP address there. I need to get that IP address from anyone. I don't care. But there is someone who needs to allocate this IP address because it's something internal. Customer doesn't even aware of that. So there are plenty of uh, of uh, business logic that is part of the service orchestrator. Or in the old days, I would call that in the OSS, like you know, inventory system and resource systems and all this stuff. At the end, they're all there. And, and it must be there. But the assumption is that most of those systems, they're modernized now and they do provide APIs. So that code that you have to write in order to fulfill a service mm. is becoming more and more easy because there are APIs for almost everything. And yeah. you can just mm. correlate them all together and build a workflow to... So then those APIs that you're talking about that are you're, you're able to, to, to write to and uh, it's easier to code against now because they're there. This is a function of the controllers that are the various ones in the market, like your own that we're talking about here with uh, with Crosswork. Or are we talking about the frameworks that we started out the discussion with have defined them well enough that uh, um, you can count on that API being there if the framework you're working with is tappy, let's say. Yeah, I would say that uh, those frameworks, they do provide the APIs which are part of the workflow to complete an operation, um, they can definitely cannot be everything about that. Because if I if I just you know have to come up with a short list of what I give me a checklist of what I need to do in order to fulfill now a new service to a, to a customer, then I think seventy percent of what you do is not correlated to the network. It's everything mm -hmm. about about the about the resources, about the billing about the, you mm. know, the activation of it. If I look at the role of, uh, of those frameworks in the automation, in the end-to-end -end automation, from, from the operator's perspective, is just give me simple APIs as I need. I don't want to deal with that. You know, potentially, I would like to give the product from a product catalog to get a product number, name, whatever, to the API. I want to provision this service. And please provision this service and tell me that everything works fine so I can continue to build. That's it. Mm -hmm. So, and, and the, the way for that is a, is, a, is a long way to go. Of course, where we know that there is a lot happens behind the scenes. Like for example, this traffic congestion that we have to deal with. It's nothing related to the customer, mm -hmm. nothing related to anything comes from the business. But I wanna make sure that if I have that running properly, then it means that in most of the cases, if I ask now the system, can I provision our new service uh, increasing from hundred meg to a gig? Then I'll get a positive answer. Because those are working in the background to make to make my life easier now. Going back to your point about budgetization, you said earlier on, you, you brought this back to my mind when you brought up the issue of uh, of network congestion. Okay, so network congestion is not a business uh, concern in the sense that it's a network weather event. It's not a service that can be turned on or off and make money on. Um, and so therefore the budget for a product that deals with network congestion should be coming from, from operations, you were saying. 
Yeah. Okay. So if I'm buying um, a hierarchical network controller that's going to do all of this for me, are you saying the operations team should be funding that entirely or that there's a split financial responsibility between the business and the operations folks? Yeah, I don't think there is a, a way and any consensus about that. But I think at the end, uh, it really depends on the on the ability of the organization, the way the organization built in order to to solve that both, I think, technically and uh, from a budget perspective. Because at the end, if there is enough budget for the operations, they can handle that themselves. Of course, they don't need anyone. They can have the budget, which is not only the budget to uh, to do that, but also the the ownership. Because you know there are many cases in which there is an OSS, and OSS is considered. I, I use the word OSS, of course, because it's a, a very common. But uh, you can talk about service orchestration or automation or whatever. There is a budget for the automation that comes from from the from the organization, which is driven by the business. But then they don't own the budget, but also own the resources and the knowledge to do automation and actually in practice to write code. Let's 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 call it simple as that. Because hmm. in many cases, when you come to an organization and and in you know as a vendor of a transport network, you go to the operations and you want to sell them a system. So in many cases, what happens is that uh, look, we don't know how to write code for that. Um, and it requires us to really write something to to build that and to automate it, but we don't have those skills. Um, and uh, unfortunately, most of the budget went to the OSS guys, but they have their own priorities. Mm -hmm. And this is not in their priorities. So you know what? Mm -hmm. I have some leftovers of the budget this year. So if if you have any system that can do that work for me, <laughs> yeah. that would be excellent. Yeah, but, yeah I think we're also getting smarter about APIs in terms of developer time and product cost, right? So it becomes when you have APIs that are, standardized, you only have to develop it once. That's good for people who are writing the APIs, like if you're a customer and you're, you know, artisanally handcrafting Python on Ansible or Terraform or whatever. But it also means that vendors don't have to keep reinventing the wheel for every single, you know, product that goes into the network. But I think even more so, even though it makes that part of it easier, it also means that the code developers can spend less time on the basics, the simple stuff, i.e. reading config, and start getting into... Am I reading all the variables capable or am I able to get all of the information that is there some part of this API that I'm not using well, or how much troubleshooting can I do to make sure this code is stable? Is there some way I can optimize it to make it faster? I don't think it's easier for developers. What we're actually seeing is in my thesis is that we're seeing vendors spend much more time focused on the, the good stuff, troubleshooting, speed, making sure there's no bugs checking it in and out of a CI/CD pipeline because they've got plenty of time, checking it for security vulnerabilities. Okay. Yeah, that's that's right. I think, uh, in, you know, because I think you, you touch as a very sensitive point about CI/CD, and mm. maybe we can widen that and ask ourselves, are those systems really CI/CD? And, and, and the clear mm. answer is definitely no. I mean, you know, even if, if even if you have built your system using modern technologies and you basically being able to do CICD delivery, then still your customers are not ready for that. They they are still in a system of uh, you know getting acceptance tests and lab, and spend months in the lab before they approve any software to be put in the in their production network. Mm. 
So, so that means that, yes, vendors do uh, invest a lot of time in stabilizing their systems, making sure there are no bugs, making sure there are no security vulnerabilities, um, simply because they're touching on a sensitive part of the network and no one can afford having this network turning down. And, hmm. and, and that concern of keeping the network stable, um, and I think it's one of the barriers to move forward in 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 having CNCD, CICD, mm-hmm. having software that runs rapidly and uh, rapid changes in the network, that's something that network operators should get confidence in the, in the software delivery by the vendors to be able to do that changes themselves. Mm-hmm. I, don't think, I don't think they're there. Mm. Modi, we've talked about a lot of things here. You've addressed a lot of issues, pointed out a lot of uh, flaws in the system when it comes to automating IP optical and transport networks and the challenges that operators and service providers are facing. So let, let, let's bring this together now. Let's let's bring this all together. If we could have some concluding points that folks in the audience can think about, um, what uh, lead us off here. Give us some takeaways, Marty. Well, I think the takeaway is to uh, kind of a call to the network operators to look at their automation projects and uh, and start with the design. I mean, put there a design for your network, taking into account the systems that you currently have, the targets for the automation, setting up the business priorities and the operational priorities. Come up with a design that will result in a clear requirements to the vendors. Like I want those capabilities, I want these APIs, and these are these are my my workflows and how to operate, how to automate my routine operations. And that I think derives also the kind of a program management for those systems because mm. you are now in a in a in a in a modern software ecosystem, and you have to understand that if you really want to get everything from your vendors, you need you need to make sure that your vendors are synced on the targets, on the deliveries, on timelines, roadmaps, and everything. That that means that you need to invest time in making mm. them synced in that because they, they will not do that themselves. You well, you're saying the vendors that. are actually going to listen to me as an operator and, uh, <laughs> and take my input and that's going to go into product design, which I think sometimes yeah. those of us that consume products, we overlook that. We just kind of take what's given to us. Okay, what's in the new release? Do I care? Don't I care? And, uh, yeah, I and then know. we kind of make decisions from there as opposed to offering input to the vendor to help mm-hmm. us design the products that make them more usable for us. And I think the other side, Ethan, is that what Modi's actually saying to customers too is, don't live in a fairy tale and say, I want everything, right? Be realistic. Understand how software development works. It's not some mystical process that can, you know, suck blood out of a stone to give you telemetry data about the mystical incantations of Quas in someone else's network, right? It's, it just can't. So you need to understand that if you're going to ask for a feature, be realistic about whether that feature can be done knowing the state of technology. So, you know, when we talk about engineers knowing how to program, that isn't you being able to cut some really cool Python and Ansible and Terraform to be able to configure a router. It's about saying to your vendor, people like Modi, I need this feature. If I understand software development right, I think this is a realistically possible request. Is it so? And Modi will be able to look at that and go, no. You're stupid. No, I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, no, that's perfectly. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, is that realistic? Yeah, I, I think it's realistic, and I think, and I think that you know, the reason I I want the customers, you know, to be active there, 
is because in, in many cases, the partner that I have to work with in order to complete the automation is my competitor. Mm. And if you want me to work together with them, you need to make sure that uh, we were properly around the targets. We know what they are. We know how to sync roadmaps. And we can make sure that we, we, we have the confidence to work together because you're the leader. Yeah. Okay. And it's very hard for you to work with your competitor unless there's a good reason. And, a, and something that's doable, right? You're not wishing for a fairy tale to happen kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. Well, that, that was another question I had, Moni. Is this the forum for that? Because I've attended a number of IETF meetings and sometimes there's more or less customer and vendor conversations happening in the context of some standards development. Uh, but you're talking about a direct relationship between you know the vendor and operator, not uh, arbitrated by the IETF or the ONF or something like that, right? Right, because I think uh, at the end, it should be a very practical and pragmatic conversation and relationship between the customer to the vendors. Um, you cannot, we cannot just rely on, well, let's use a standard and let's make sure that the standard will be there. And then it comes to integration and you know, you're very surprised because I would expect it to be a plug and play. I put it there, use the standard. No, no. That's that that that's not going to work. If you if you really want to let it work, so we can look at the standard realistically, understand what what are the advantages of the start of the standard, and what are maybe the missing parts of the standard, and let's make sure how we how we cover that. But we need to work together, and I think that uh, you know that's kind of a realization that we have to to make if we want these projects to succeed. Yes, we do. We we should aim to be in a, in a point when standards do cover 90% of what we need to do and we don't have to spend time on that. But we're not there. And I think that if, if we will work together practically, and I think the outcome of it will not only be used for our projects together, but also for the standard bodies, because then we can go there and take all our outcomes there and say, look what we have found, because we have been mm. dealing with that. And this is what you should put in the standard. Let's push for that. Got it. Got it. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that aspect of it, but yeah, you're exactly right. Sometimes in those standards meetings, it does feel like the vendor kind of advocating for their own pet solution. But but it's also true that uh, I have heard vendors stand up in those meetings and say, hey, this is our experience with our customers in live deployments working on these problems. And because of these real world experiences that we've had, the standards should include X and then they'll advocate for those things with their reasons. And uh, those are great conversations to be had as well. Uh, Modi, what other takeaways might you have for uh, operators, anyone listening to this that um, would be consuming your products? I've mentioned priorities before, but I think priorities is is essential because in many cases you you need to take at you need to look at that from first of all from a business perspective, and understand what best serve your business, and then let's let's work on use cases. Like for example, I want to take a use case of uh, I, I don't know. It could be bandwidth on demand. It could be a new service introduction. Let's work on this use case end to end and make sure that we cover that end to end. Even if we don't have in between several other systems that are mandatory, you need to put it there. And in many cases, it all starts with with a pilot, and it's okay to piloting things. Like let's take a service as a greenfield VPN. Let's see how it works and work it out. Of work on that with the vendors together. Once it's there, we can have a lot, a lot of lessons learned that we can put now into the production use cases, and 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 it's piloting things is uh, is 
kind of, uh, you know, try and catch, which in many cases, we get a lot of benefits and a lot of uh, outcomes that we will be serving in a production. Well, Modi, this has been a great conversation. Now, uh, if people want to reach out to you directly, are you on LinkedIn, Twitter, any, any way like that? You'd recommend people reach yeah, out to you? LinkedIn can work. Yeah. Okay. LinkedIn is better. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Well, Modi, thank you very much for joining us today. Modi is the product manager for the Sedona Systems line of business within Cisco, known better today as the Crosswork Hierarchical Controller. And we thank Cisco Systems for sponsoring today's heavy networking episode. If you're out there listening, hey, you're an awesome human. You made it all the way to the end. Good job, you. And you can find this in many more of our fine, free technical podcasts, along with our community blog, our Slack channel, our newsletter, etc. That is all at Packet Pushers. Net. You can follow us on Twitter at Packet Pushers, and you can find us on LinkedIn. You can follow us there as well. Last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough.